This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. As the uncoordinated individual I am, I've dealt with a number of semi-serious accidents in my life. They can all be chalked up to childhood clumsiness, really. But what interests me about those moments are the details that have stuck with me. I have trouble remembering which ankle I broke in fifth grade, but I distinctly remember which two classmates helped carry me to the nurse's office afterwards. In this week's story, teller Jane DeLobenfels shares the trauma of an accident of her own and the friends and strangers who helped her get through it. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in March 2019, Second Story is proud to present Crash. It's a lovely late October day. The car windows are down a bit and the breeze feels nice. How many did you get wrong? I think I missed four. My nine-year-old son, Gabriel, and his friend Jacob are in the back seat discussing the geography test at school today. They had to fill in a map of the United States. I tell them I don't think I would do very well. The East Coast is always challenging for me. <gasps> Crash, crunch, our car spins around. There is a moment, a second, less than a second, where I don't know what's happened. It's us. We've been hit. Later, I will understand that a cabbie was getting ready to turn left when another car hit him from behind. He smashed right into my door as I drove through the intersection. The boys aren't making a sound. I'm frozen. I'm afraid to turn around, but I need to see them to know if they've been hurt. Are you okay? Are you hurt? I'm okay. Me too? They look so small. They seem okay, but my heart is beating out of my chest and I don't know anything. Within what seems like seconds, a fireman is leaning in the window asking if I'm hurt, if the boys are hurt. I don't think so. They said they're okay. I don't know if I'm hurt. It feels like there might be glass under my thighs. Try not to move, miss. We need to make sure you're okay. The paramedics are on the way. I am shaking so much, I think I may just lift out of the car. My door is smashed in. There is glass everywhere. Are you okay? Is there anything I can do? A lovely blonde woman is talking to me through the window on the passenger side. Her name is Jessica. Can I call anyone for you? Yes, please, my husband, Jamie. My phone is in my purse, but it's on the floor and I'm not supposed to move very much. Jessica gets into the car. I grab her hand for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes until the ambulance takes me away. She stays with me. She looks for my phone, but there's too much glass, so she uses her phone. I hear her telling Jamie there's been an accident, the boys are fine, the paramedics are on the way. She's saying more, but there's a ringing in my ear. I can't make out what she's saying. She calls Jacob's dad. I hear her say she'll call him back when she has more information. The firemen decide to get the boys out of the car. Where are they taking them? Can you see them? Are you sure they're okay? They're taking them to a police car. Gabriel has a scratch on his cheek. They think it's from the seatbelt. They're fine. Jacob is fine too. I'll let you know if anything changes. My brother was nine, Gabriel's age, when he was hit by a car while he was sledding. He was in a coma for three weeks and suffered brain damage. Please be sure Gabriel is okay. Why aren't they examining him? What about Jacob? I'm not sure but it's possible I'm screaming. 
The paramedics are here. They examined the boys. They're okay. One of the firemen is talking to me through the window. Miss, we don't want to move you more than necessary, so we're going to take the door off and get you out this way. It's going to be very loud. I'm sorry about that. Jessica holds my hand. I can't stop shaking. When they take the door off, it is loud. A jackhammer right next to my ear. It makes the shaking worse. Jessica doesn't let go of my hand. I can't see the boys. Where did they take them? They're still sitting in the police car. They're fine. As soon as the door is off, the paramedics are there. Everyone knows the drill. Everyone knows what to do except me. They start asking questions urgently but calmly. They put me on a board and strap me down. I don't want Gabriel to see me like this. Somehow, I remember the boys' backpacks in the trunk. Jessica retrieves them and puts them in the ambulance with me. The boys are in a different ambulance. They'll meet you at the hospital. Why are they in an ambulance? I thought you said they weren't hurt. They're doing it as a precaution. They're fine. She stands outside the ambulance until they close the door. I hope I said thank you to her. The inside of the ambulance is dingy and smaller than I'd imagine, not like the ambulances in movies and TV shows. There are two paramedics. They get some sort of IV started. They find my wallet and verify my name. They ask about medication. I can't stop shaking. That's normal. You're doing great. Then the siren is on, and we're off. Jessica told me the boys are in a different ambulance. We're going to Illinois Masonic. Jamie and Jacob's dad will meet us there. Jamie's mom died in a car accident when he was in college. She was by herself at night. What was she thinking about when she was hit? Her plans for the next day? Was she singing along to a song on the radio? When they took my brother to the hospital, he was unconscious. Did the paramedics think he would die on the way there? In the emergency room, everyone moves quickly. They've done this before. When one of the nurses starts cutting off my clothes, my stomach plunges. I thought they only did this in extreme situations. Before I know it, my plaid skirt and brown sweater are gone. They ask a lot of questions and examine me. My heart rate, my eyes, my reflexes, my body for bruising and bleeding. I cannot stop shaking. I see Gabriel in the bed across the room. He's sitting up. There's just a scratch on his cheek. That's it. Jacob is standing next to him. I wave and try to smile as if this is all normal. I want Jamie. I want my husband. Jacob's dad arrives first. After he checks on the boys, he comes over to me. Jamie's on his way. He'll be here any minute. When Jamie arrives, I start to cry. Go check on Gabriel. Please make sure he's okay. Tell him I'll be fine. The police are there. They ask Jamie questions about my age, the make and model of my car, if we have insurance. I just want him to stand next to me and hold my hand. I cannot stop shaking. The doctor wants to keep me overnight. The car was hit hard. They want to be sure there isn't any damage to my heart from the impact. Could I still die from this? What if there is internal bleeding or I have a heart attack? Later, Jamie comes back to help me get settled in after he takes Gabriel home. He's texting my parents, my friends. He's asking the doctors and nurses a lot of questions. My 14-year-old daughter wants to see me, but we assure her there isn't any reason to. I'll be home tomorrow. My friend Karen calls Jamie. Karen and I have been friends since we were 18. Now we're almost 50. She really wants to see you, Jane. I don't think she'll take no for an answer. 
Not long after Jamie arrives, not long after Jamie leaves, Karen arrives. It's almost 11. She's dressed up, wearing a gorgeous necklace and dark lipstick. She's coming from a wedding anniversary with her soon-to-be ex-husband. We spend the next two hours discussing what led to this breakup. Flights to Cincinnati when she thought he was in Dallas on business trips years of deception. She shares the text between them as the mystery unfolded and he finally came clean. Karen's dramatic reading of them is exquisite. We laugh so hard we're crying. They love each other, but the marriage is over. This was their final anniversary dinner. At some point during Karen's visit, I realize I'm not shaking anymore. After determining there isn't anything serious, just aches and pains, they dismiss me the next morning. When we get home, there's a pizza and salad waiting. Some friends have started a meal train. Pastries and flowers are dropped off. My niece brings over a latte from our neighborhood coffee house. I sleep, talk to the insurance company about the accident, and try to be a good hostess when people stop by. Jessica calls to check up on me. I had just driven through the intersection when I heard the accident. I pulled over and came back to see if you needed anything. She doesn't say this as if her actions are out of the ordinary. It was something that came naturally to her. To me, her being there was huge. Holding her hand was all I had to keep me from floating away. I cannot thank her enough. I don't leave the house for four days. I don't drive for almost two weeks. Jamie and our friends get the kids where they need to go. Gabriel seems okay. He doesn't say much about the accident. He's moving on with things. School, watching October baseball, playing with his Legos. Thankfully, he doesn't understand how this all could have turned out much differently. I tell my therapist I feel kind of guilty about making a big deal out of this. People get in car accidents all the time. And really, we're very lucky. No one was hurt. The boys went to school the next day. I'm driving again. Jane, that doesn't mean everything is okay. Tell me what's going on. I can't stop thinking about what could have happened. What is the worst thing that could have happened? You can say it here. This is a safe place. If I had lived and Gabriel hadn't, I don't know how I would have made it through the rest of my life. But that didn't happen. There was a different outcome. You knew before the accident that anything can happen to any of us at any moment. But now, it's in your bones. On the way home, I stop for a glazed donut at Benison's Bakery. I call Karen to see how she's doing. My life changed so quickly, Jane. Everything feels different now, even the little things. I still can't believe it. After we hang up, I sit in my car and cry. It's one of those ugly cries. There are strange sounds coming out of me, and I'm gulping for air. When I get home, Gabriel's watching a baseball game. Hi, sweet boy. Hi, mama. Do you want to watch the game with me? Yeah, I'd love to. 
while he tells me about an important play earlier in the inning, I hold his hand. I'm not shaking. I'm not floating away. For now, I'm right here. It calls me to This story was produced by Kit Ryan, curated by LaTanya Lane, and directed by Max Spitz. Music and sound design was by Nick Ward. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.